The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in the markets and the outlook for the dollar. I'm pleased to welcome today's guests, Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, and Aaron Hurd, Senior Portfolio Manager and the Currency Group at State Street Global Advisors. Hi, Ben. Hi, Aaron. Great to have you both on Barron's Live. Hi, Lauren. So, Aaron, we were going to talk today about the mighty dollar, which had been riding high this year as the Fed has hiked interest rates. Instead, the U.S. dollar index, the DXY, took quite a tumble last week. So I thought we'd start there. Maybe you can tell us what happened, what caused the sell-off, and put it in some context for us. Aaron? Ben? Uh, looks like we uh, lost Aaron. Um, oh. Well, I, I could. I'm sorry. I, I hope you can hear me. All audio. I just hear a bunch of strange sounds. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Aaron. Well, Ben, why don't you start us off on the dollar, and Aaron will join us when he can. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, with, with the dollar, I mean, it's it's been pretty incredible just to to watch how quickly it's turned around. Um, it went from being basically, um, you know, as strong as it's been in, in many, many years um, uh, with the DXY index, which isn't the perfect index because it really ha- has too much of a weight to uh, uh, domestic to uh, develop currencies like um, the euro, the pound and the yen. But it's it's a decent proxy. But that was, uh, you know, trying to break through 115 and it was holding between 110, 115 for a while. And then all of a sudden it just broke. Uh, through that line and has dropped straight down. I mean, a lot of this just had to do with the uh, the CPI uh, this past week, where um, when that came in softer than expected, um, U.S. yields dropped. Uh, had some just massive moves. Um, I think the, the single uh, the the single day moves in, in some of the in the two or the ten. Um, you know, we're looking at the kind of moves that you haven't seen since um, you know 2007 to 2009 kind of period. Um, and, and currencies right now are trading a lot on these yield differentials between. Uh, different countries, and so when the the U.S. yield fell so much, it uh, really offered an opportunity for uh, the dollar to uh, to reprice as well. And I think that's what we saw is just a massive downward move there. So I guess your short term forecast, at least, will depend on what your short term forecast is for rates and for equity markets and for the likelihood of a Fed pivot. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that that's right. Is that uh, it, it is focused on on the Fed um, more than anything right now. And if there is really a Fed pivot, then uh, you know the dollar probably has uh, more room to uh, to, to fall. Um, right now, I'm just looking at a, at a chart of it. It would seem that uh, support is probably down around 105 or so. Uh, it's at 106.93 at this point. So um, you know another uh, down another two two points from from here. Um, but yeah, it's going to really just uh, depend on what the Fed does and how the market responds to it. 
for sure. Aaron, I think you're back Hello? on again. Am I right? Am I back? Yeah, I, I did the emergency dial-in. I'm sorry. I, I could only hear a strange electronic sound. It was very loud. Um, I'm so sorry mind. about that, but we're very glad to have you back. So Ben and I have been talking about the dollar index falling last week. And I wanted to take a longer term view, though. And I know that you are somewhat bearish over the longer term. You've told me you expect the dollar to fall by 20% over the next three to five years. So let's talk about what's behind that forecast and then how investors should prepare. Right. So what's behind the forecast uh, really is a reversal of the factors that got the dollar uh, so high in the first place here, right? So I think Ben touched on that. Um, high interest rates uh, and high risk aversion, right? So falling equity markets, that creates a safe haven bid, uh, which tends to favor the dollar as, you know, the deepest, most liquid markets, uh, you know, core reserve currency of the world. And then uh, high rates, the Fed's been very aggressive, more aggressive than other central banks, so that gives the U.S. a yield advantage as well. Now, that all traces back, of course, to inflation. Um, but we see inflation, right, because inflation, of course, caused the Fed to react, which then increased recession risk, uh, also has a valuation effect on equities and drives equities lower. Um, we don't think that this is a permanent shock to inflation. Now, maybe we do find that inflation runs 25, 50 basis points, maybe even 75 basis points higher on average over the next 10 years than it did over the uh, 10 years pre-pandemic. Uh, but most of this major shock in inflation we think is going to roll over um, and do so pretty aggressively starting next year. Um, and that's simply because you know, we see inflation uh, as on borrowed time because it's really being supported by borrowed dollars, right? So people, your real wages aren't keeping up. Uh, people are dipping into uh, savings, running up credit card balances, um, it's really not a sustainable uh, inflation dynamic, right? You don't have that wage price spiral. So as inflation rolls over, that takes away uh, the Fed's need to uh, maintain these very high rates, which takes away some of the U.S. yield advantage and reverses that. Um, because we don't see inflation staying ultra high in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world, it doesn't fundamentally revalue the U.S. dollar, right, relative to other currencies on a permanent basis. And then, ultimately, um, with some economic pain, and we do see uh, some significant pain next year, not necessarily a big recession, but uh, best case and kind of base case would be a significant global stagnation well below potential growth rates. So that will be painful still for equity markets, uh, we think, very bumpy landing um, and help delay the turn in the dollar. But we don't think this is a permanent blow-up of the equity markets here, right? It's a, it's a typical business cycle, and that will pass. Um, so add those two things together. You, you go out one, three, five years, the uh, rate outlook is less advantageous for the U.S. dollar, and uh, a lot of this risk aversion uh, evaporates and turns into the next positive cycle, uh, hopefully sooner than later, but that could be uh, another year and a half from now. Um, and the dollar falls back down. Uh, towards its, its longer-term equilibrium level. That would be good for international equities, wouldn't it? It will. So, you know, if I'm seeing a 20% decline in the dollar over the next three to five years, you know, that's um, at the low end a 4% tailwind for foreign equities over U.S. equities. Um, and it could be, you know, 6 7% tailwind. Now, compare that to the past decade, 
uh, you know, if you look at the big index like MSCI All Country World Index, Acqui Index, um, XUS, you know, the currencies cost about 3% a year over the last decade. So you've underperformed. You've had a headwind from the dollar appreciation over the last decade. As that turns, that 3% headwind turns into a 4-plus percent tailwind. That makes uh, foreign equities relatively more attractive. So I wanted to ask you, a number of people have talked about the dollar losing its reserve currency status, more than more than a few people, in coming years as rival trading blocks develop around the world and as China grows more powerful. Uh, do you think there's much credence in that argument? Um, I do not. So with a caveat, the dollar has been gradually losing share over the last 10, 12 years. Uh, now, Chinese renminbi has picked up a little bit of share, um, but mostly it's going into other developed markets with tend to have, tend to have higher yields uh, and, and a really stable institutional profile. Uh, Canada and Australia have been particularly uh, strong winners. Um, you know, again, it's a, it's a very slow process over the last 10 or 15 years. Now, I think that will continue. Um, again, slowly, I think the euro, if it survives this latest pandemic shock, the energy shock, it'll, it'll bolster confidence in the euro. The euro's lost about 5% of share over the last 15 years. Um, it could gain back some of that, particularly if yields stay positive. Um, but a wholesale ditching of the dollar, there's just not a good alternative. Right. If anything, China uh, is becoming more insulated. Right, Tensions with uh, the West have been increasing. Uh, the capital account is still largely closed. Um, it's opening up gradually. Um, but that doesn't seem to be uh, – it's a, it's a priority, but not the highest priority to, to open up. Um, and if you look at what's happened over the last year or so with regulations and other things, it's not clear that um, China really wants to open up all that quickly. So, you know, I just don't see an alternative for a wholesale shift away from the dollar. Okay. Interesting. I know it's a subject of big debate. We'll talk about China a bit more, but before we do that, I, I want to talk a little bit about the crypto crack up, namely the spectacular fall last week of the FTX crypto exchange and the plunging value of many digital tokens. What do you think this means for the future of cryptocurrencies, Aaron? Um, I, yeah, been on record many venues saying I don't respect cryptocurrencies as currencies. They're not an effective medium of exchange. Transaction costs are far too high. Um, and you know, even more importantly, they're just not a store of value. So I, I tend to think of them in valuation terms as almost more of a collectible, right? If I think of how would I model and value them. Um, so I, you know, had a, a fairly... A dim view. Now, this is not a dim view of digital uh, finance in general. I have a very positive view of that. I have a very positive view of the technology behind that. But cryptocurrencies, as they are, um, with the exception of some stable coins, uh, yeah, I'm not particularly uh, fond of. So, yeah, I don't want to say I told you so, right? But <laughs> I, <look at> <laughs> I wondered if it was well, my told you so moment. <laughs> from a valuation standpoint, it seems a little bit fishy to me anyway, um, but I hate to hear, right? I mean, we'll see what happens uh, with the investigations, but I hate to hear that, um, you know, maybe a market wasn't run the way it should have been run. And right. It's just not good for, it's not good for investors and, and uh, consumers and, and just the overall financial marketplace. 
Right. I, I definitely agree with that. So one more item about China, then we'll go to this week's corporate earnings. China's been in the headlines a lot. President Biden just met with China's leader, Xi Jinping, and China is finally relaxing some COVID restrictions. Ben, how excited should we be about that? Um, not super excited, but excited enough. I mean, the, China has really been hurt hard, uh, hit hard by their uh, COVID restrictions, and it's just limited... Um, uh, so much of the the economy there and uh, what it's able to do. Um, so any relaxation of that is, is, I think, good news as it starts to maybe very slowly uh, normalize. Um, with markets, it's often the direction of change that matters. Um, not always the I mean, the pace of it does too, but as long as uh, it keeps heading in a, a reopening kind of way, um, it, that should be pretty good. Um, it, one thing that strikes me is it's very... Um, you know, the, the people are very excited of what that would mean. A reopening China would mean for the uh, for energy, for oil prices in particular. Um, and uh, you, you see people recommending uh, oil and energy stocks based on this idea that China is reopening, but you see far fewer people wanting to recommend Chinese stocks. Um, I, th I think part of that is that. Uh, you know, you, you've had a decent bounce in Chinese stocks already. So uh, just as one example, um, there's uh, an ETF, the iShares China Large Cap ETF, FXI. Um, they traded down uh, below um, 20 bucks uh, at the end of October, and it's now um, up at around... Um, Oh, let's call it uh, twenty. It's at twenty five sixty eight now. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big move there. Uh, you know, almost a, almost a twenty percent move um, in in just two weeks. Um, and so that's a reason to uh, be a little more cautious. Um, but the other side is, I think that China is still a very ta tactical market. Um, I have a, a hard time just because of all the restrictions saying that, hey, you could just invest in China and stay there forever. They don't treat capital the same way as let's say, the United States does, um, but it will offer some big moves um, uh, um, up and down. And uh, I think one thing to remember is that there are also Chinese stocks are very cheap. I mean, Alibaba is still trading under 10 times earnings and even at a discount um, because for being a Chinese company. Um, that's still um, a massive discount to, say, uh, an Amazon.com, which uh, is still trading at uh, 62 times. Um, so there, there are, you know, gives and takes. Um, but I do think it's something that does help. Uh, it has to help you feel uh, more positive about uh, Chinese, China, Chinese stocks, and perhaps the global economy as well. And perhaps the trajectory of COVID. So let's move on to third quarter earnings. It's, we're wrapping up the end of third quarter earnings season, but we have not yet heard from most U.S. retailers. They are on a January fiscal year. This includes big box stores, department stores, off-price chains. So, Ben, we'll start with a discussion of Walmart. The stock is down just 1.5% this year. It makes me wonder what is Walmart's magic formula and what's on tap for earnings there? I mean, the, the, the big thing for Walmart is that uh, it, it's, uh, it has uh, pretty large exposure to groceries. Um, and that's really because of inflation. That's where so much money has been going, particularly from uh, Walmart's less affluent uh, customers. Um, so having that, that exposure to groceries, which I, I want to say is uh, more than half of its, uh, of, of its sales, really has been good for Walmart. And it has helped to weather um, some of this invent these inventory problems that all retailers have had. Um, and I, I think it's also that um, the 
people see Walmart as kind of a, a safe play when they're looking at retail stocks um, and they're wondering, you know, who's going to be able to hold up in this kind of environment. Walmart is kind of that flight to safety play over all the other retailers. Um, I think that's helped as well. And so really what people want to see, though, is uh, Walmart talks, uh, um, releases its earnings. Uh, they're expecting profit of a dollar 32 that would actually be down a little bit from a uh, dollar 45 uh, the same quarter last year is really you know how are those inventory problems being worked out um and uh, you know it, it, are they gonna be able to start uh, generating more profit off of that side of the business the uh the good side more than the groceries um and and if you do get a turnaround in the market actually the safety uh the safety side of walmart might actually be a hindrance if we do get a bounce in the market what about Target? They also have a big grocery business, though not quite as big. The stock has not been a great performer. Yeah, I mean, that, unfortunately, their their grocery business isn't uh, isn't nearly as big as as Walmart's, um, and they they appear to have had uh, a worse inventory problem than uh, Walmart as well, um, and so that that's been a real detriment to to the company. Um, you know, Barron's actually recommended it after um, part of this uh, big decline that it's had, because um, we do see it still as being one of the strongest retailers out there. They have been very good operators um, over time. Um, they have just a history of being able to to handle things. Um, but that's, again, it's going to be this, this focus is really can they, um, you know, can they get their margins, which have just been hit hard, um, to start returning uh, to, you know, can, can those start rising again? Um, and that's really, I think, what investors are going to be paying attention to. They know earnings are going to be down a lot from 2021. They're looking for 215 versus uh, $3.03 uh, the year before. Um, but they also, the, the stock is pretty cheap now. It's 15.7 times uh, earnings. And so if they can start showing the margins or can get better that they're working through these supply problems, um, um, the inventory problems, the stock could do a lot better in the year ahead. So it's been pretty depressed, as you know. So we're going to move on to the home improvement retailers. Before we do, just want to tell listeners we'll take questions at the end of the call. So please type them in now if, you're, if you've got some questions on your minds. Housing has been struggling this year as rates have risen, and so have home improvement stocks like Home Depot and Lowe's. We'll hear from Home Depot tomorrow and Lowe's on Wednesday. What is the outlook for the companies? It's, uh, the news might be better than people expect. Is that true? It could be, yeah. It's uh, yeah. One of the things I didn't realize about both these companies is that um, you know, my first thought was, well, if, you know, housing, the, the housing market isn't doing well and people have to just stay in place, then maybe they're going to just start remodeling their homes instead of moving, which would be a boon for um, Home Depot and Lowe's. But one of the things I didn't realize was just how much um, of the remodeling happens when people buy their buy a house. Um, that's when so much of the money on remodeling gets um, gets spent. And that's been a hindrance. It's one reason that you saw some really massive moves in both Lowe's and uh, Home Depot last week. Um, as yields fell, so did mortgage rates. And, um, you know, these stocks jumped. Um, they were up, I, I think, over uh, both of them had gained around 10%, maybe a little more, give or take, um, um, last, last week in that one day when the CPI came out, just because uh, there was this hope that if mortgage rates come down, sales start happening again and the housing market recovers. Um, otherwise, there are still, you know, these these interesting dynamics at play here. Home Depot is still the more popular with uh, the contractors. Lowe's is more of a DIY. 
Um, and, you know, they want us for both actually right now, people are looking for improvement uh, in that DIY sector. Um, but they just want to see that um, that earnings are able to hold up um, despite uh, what's going on um, in the housing market. And um, they're both, uh, you know, especially uh, Lowe's, um, they both look relatively cheap now. Lowe's is down at 14.8 times um, after dropping 19% this year. And uh, Home Depot is down at 18.5 times, and that's after dropping 24%. Um, so they're both, you know, looking relatively... Um, uh, you know, attractive here valuation-wise. I think the biggest issue is that I never like to see stocks surge the way that these two have heading into an earnings report. I think it sets them up for uh, some initial disappointment, at least if the number doesn't come out a lot better than expected. But uh, we'll keep watching and see what happens. You know, there have been a lot of extreme moves around people's perceptions of interest rates and a Fed pivot. So, Aaron, I wanted to ask you for your broader outlook. Where do you think inflation is headed, and what is your forecast for the Fed? Yeah, well, I mean, we see inflation heading back to kind of the mid two uh, percent range by the end of next year, uh, maybe a bit lower. I'd call it two point two to two point five percent. And we're seeing the reasons I talked about. You know, um, real wages not keeping pace, but. Uh, we are seeing, we talked about, you know, retail earnings and inventory problems, right? We are seeing the discounting. Um, if you look at supply chain, measures of supply chain stress, shipping measures, those sorts of things, they're improving uh, and have improved significantly. Um, and I think, you know, given that uh, gradually consumers are working through their savings and running up their credit card balances, that ultimately services will start to uh, you'll feel the pinch as well and won't have quite as much pricing power. Um, so for that reason, um, you know, in kind of a stabilization uh, and better year on your comparisons in the commodity and energy sector. Um, so you kind of combine all those and you have a pretty uh, steady drop in inflation uh, next year, uh, which means, you know, we see a high likelihood that, you know, towards Q4, you could be looking at Fed uh, rate cuts. Um, You're talking about Q4 23. Oh, 23. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. to clarify. Yeah. Just to clarify. Yeah. So that, well, um, that, that dovetails with. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It did, that just dovetails with that uh, more bearish dollar story. Um, mm -hmm. Right. For sure. For sure. So back to retailers. Kohl's has had a dismal year. This is a department store company. The stock is down about 37%. The company was the target of several activist campaigns, and it just named a new CEO. Is there any reason at this point, Ben, to get excited about Kohl's? It's trading at nine times earnings. Um, I think the reason you get excited about Kohl's, if there if there is one, is because, I mean, I don't think they wanted to lose the CEO. Uh, the CEO left for uh, Levi Strauss. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, it's you know there, there's a lot that has to happen here. I, I do think um, the, the good news, uh, if there is any, is that really you do have an activist involved who's very focused on creating value in the stock, and that may be through real estate um, and uh, or through other things. But but there are going to be focused on that. Um, you know the, the other part of this the story that uh, could be uh, interesting is just this partnership that uh, Coles has with Sephora. Um, and uh, one analyst I was reading uh, was noting that where this is over at Jeffries is that that 
that partnership has been gaining traction. Um, it has some big uh, expectations to meet, but it seems to be heading in the right direction. So there are little things going on there. But, um, you know, I think it, it's one of these scenarios where if the stock is going to do well, it's because uh, people have sort of changed their mind on, on uh, retail. Um, and the, the sector starts to get a boost, uh, I think, more than it will be on uh, the idiosyncratic factors uh, as such. So I thought we could talk very quickly about two off-price retailers, TJX and Walk Stores. TJX in particular is having a decent year. Stocks down only about 3%. What makes these companies perform better than so many other retailers? Well, part of it is that they don't end up with the, the inventory problems that other retailers are good news for off-price. It means that they are able to get more, uh, more, more uh, clothes into their stores. Um, it means that they probably can get better prices for what they're buying. Um, I, I think one of the things we saw with their models that COVID was just really tough for them because there was no excess inventory and people couldn't go do this kind of treasure hunt um, that they talk about in going into an off-price retailer where you have to look through a lot of junk, but when you find what you want, it's great and it's, 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 and it's super cheap. Um, and so the stocks have done relatively well. Um, TJX is down only 2.7%. Uh, it's an almost Walmart-like performance. Uh, well, Ross Stores is down um, 16%. Uh, I think the big difference there um, appears to be kind of the way that uh, people view their customer bases. Um, with Ross, they're um, uh, a little less affluent than um, TJX. And so uh, the TJX customer has probably been able to hold up a bit better um, and, uh, you know, was able to, you know, it still wants this treasure hunt experience uh, and they're still able to afford it. And with Ross, it might not uh, be quite the case, but they both held up um, pretty well. Um, I think one of the things that I, I thought was uh, interesting that was highlighted by an analyst mm -hmm. over at UBS is that you know, Ross used to be thought of as a uh, as a defensive stock, um, but um, that actually investors appear to be questioning that now, partially because it just hasn't done as well since the pandemic as many had hoped. Um, and so we'll see what what happens with the earnings there. Um, you know, earnings are going to drop. It's expecting a, a profit of eighty one cents. Uh, now be down from a, a buck oh nine, but really people want to see that this company is able to get back to kind of this. Um, you know, this, this, these very solid sales um, and, um, and and some decent margins going forward. One thing when companies report third quarter earnings, particularly in the retail sector, pay attention to what they say about the fourth quarter and next year. Absolutely. So give, us, give us a sense of how the consumer is holding up. Yes, One more. Go ahead. I would say, especially with the, with the holiday shopping season, I think people are kind of uh, uncertain about whether the holiday shopping season is going to be as good as it uh, typically is. If uh, people took advantage of the, uh, there were two Amazon Amazon Prime days. Others had their their uh, special shopping days to coincide with that. Um, did a lot of the shopping get done before the holidays? Um, and it's, it's going to be very interesting to see that if um, you get a holiday shopping season boom like you often do, or if this year it's kind of muted. Well, also the stock market is down quite a lot. And in some sectors, there have been many layoff announcements. So it'll be an interesting season. Um, I wanted to talk just briefly about NVIDIA. Then we'll go to some listener questions. This is the chip maker. The stock is down 44% this year. The company is reporting Wednesday. What's on tap there, Ben? Uh, this is an interesting one, just because the stock has done the stock went from being a favorite. Um, you know, it almost joined the uh, trillion dollar club um, at, at the high. Almost. Of the market. 
almost. And uh, it's gotten, you know, got hit very, very hard and, and for good reason. Um, you know, earnings have been falling. It had um, people didn't really talk about it. Uh, you know, it came and went, but it had exposure to, to Bitcoin and crypto um, with the crypto mining. Its chips were often used for that. And that's really hurt sales of the uh, of their uh, gaming chips as um um, as crypto has fallen, as, as mining has, uh, um, as there's been less interest in mining. Um, though some people have been pointing out that there might not, it might not be the consensus short that it has seemed to be, um, that, uh, and that there's actually worry about being too negative on, uh, NVIDIA. But, um, you know, I, I keep sticking with, uh, our take him, take him has been, uh, pretty negative on this stock, uh, for quite a while now. And, until he says that the stock is bottomed, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> it hasn't because he's just been very right on this, um, and uh, it just seems to have a, this kind of understanding of the of the what's going on in the chips uh, sector right now. Tay is our chips authority for sure. So let's go to some listener questions, and um, we have a question, Aaron. I'll pose to you from Arun: Which Japanese companies are benefiting from a low yen and euro? Yeah. Um, well, I don't follow companies by name, right? Just follow the currency. But well, let's let's talk about Japanese equities in general and your outlook for the yen. That might help clarify things. Sure. Um, so the yen uh, is interesting because it is the purest proxy for uh, just an interest rate trade, relative interest rate trade, uh, in G10 space, right, or developed market currencies uh, space. So that means that uh, as we get to the peak of U.S. rates, um, we expect the yen, as it did last week, uh, to continue to appreciate. Now, that turning process will inevitably be quite volatile and, and rocky um, as we find exactly what the top, the top peak rate for the Fed will be. Um, but unlike other currencies, uh, the yen can appreciate if we have a deeper global slowdown than we expect, so if we have a global recession. Um, so if rates are going down and we're getting a global recession, I look at a currency like Australian dollar or any uh, cyclically sensitive currency, the British pound, then the dollar will stay strong for longer against those currencies. But the yen can turn and start to appreciate uh, first, right? Now, typically, um, you know, stronger yen tends to coincide with uh, you know, weaker Japanese equities, but um, Japan in general is a little bit... Uh, the yen still, in absolute terms, quite weak, um, so that benefits exporters um, and exporting companies. So I guess that would be uh, an answer to this. But um, also, it's earlier in its its recovery from COVID, um, so a little bit more runway there. Um, so I wouldn't expect the stronger yen to have a major impact uh, on equities or as strong an impact as we've seen in past cycles, uh, strong and negative impact. So. Yeah, looks pretty good to me. I think Japanese equities are pretty cheap. They're chronically cheap. The yen's going to appreciate. Um, doesn't seem like a bad story to me. Aaron, what is the best way for an individual investor to bet on currencies? Yeah, well, I mean, there are direct currency exchanges. I think the best thing an investor can do, right, aside from tactically betting on currencies, um, is to really think about the role the currency plays in their broader global asset allocation mm -hmm. um, and to, uh, you know, then look, you know, to the extent that they can find hedged or, or unhedged vehicles. Right now, as a U.S. investor, I would not be hedging foreign currency. 
um, with that longer term bearish dollar view. Um, but, you know, again, being uh, just explicit because we often talk about the inherited currency risk, right? You think, oh, I like Japanese equities, I like UK equities or whatever. Um, and along with that, of course, comes that currency uh, exposure. So having discussions like this, you know, in, in a forum where we're talking about equities more generally, to bring in the currency discussion explicitly and to say, okay, well, one of the five reasons I like non-U.S. equities or I like Japan or I like another particular region is the currency, right? And to just make that decision explicitly. And then you can express that through, you know, various ETFs. I know I have with our spider guys and, you know, and customers, I have a lot of discussions, um, you know, similar to this, mm -hmm. right, where they're really trying to say, okay, well, I should go into this region or I should go into hedged or unhedged, those sort of questions. So speaking of speaking of equities and currencies, Charles asks what the impact of a falling dollar will have on the U.S. stock market. Yeah. Um, on the earnings side, it will be helpful. Right. So the, the rising dollar has been a drag to earnings. Um, so I think that's a positive. Um, also, a falling dollar uh, coincides you know, in my scenario, my baseline scenario with falling inflation, the Fed ultimately uh, easing back a little bit and growth bottoming and, and starting at least to have the bottom in sight, right? So those all tend to be positive factors for the equity market too. So if we get yields down a little bit lower, we have a better sense of where the bottom of this economic slowdown will be. And a weaker dollar uh, is going to boost earnings a bit. That's a fairly positive uh, story for U.S. equities. Now, I still think there's more, you know, potentially a little bit more, uh, you know, oomph in, in non-U.S. equities because you'll get the direct mark-to-market -market effect of the currency, um, which tends to overwhelm that earnings effect, and uh, foreign equities are a little bit cheaper. So in that positive scenario where the world bases and starts to grow again, um, I think you could do a little bit better non-U.S. at first, you know, for the first year or so anyway. Got it. Thank you. I think we'll wrap up with a question on gold. Steve notes that gold and gold miners have not done well this year. Gold is supposed to be inversely related to the dollar, but it's also a hedge against inflation. So what explains the performance of gold so far? And what's the forecast going forward? Ben, give it to you first, and then we'll see if Aaron has thoughts. Uh, sure. Well, as you mentioned, the uh, the the gold uh, it does tend to be weaker when the dollar is going up, and I think you know it has this reputation as an inflation hedge. But I think it's more than an inflation hedge. I think it's a hedge against a central bank that's not doing enough to take care of to hand, to get inflation under control. Um, and I think that might explain why gold did do very well um, for a while there. Um, and, um, you know, it did get, it got up, I think, well over uh, 1700. Um, but as the Fed has, um, started really fighting inflation and keeping an eye on it, um, very closely, um, gold has, um, has suffered somewhat. And, um, and I mean, that's what basically what you saw with the, you know, as soon as the Fed started hiking rates, um, in, uh, the, at the beginning of, uh, in, in around March, um, is when it really can clear the Fed would start raising rates. That's when gold started to come in. Um, and, and it's, I don't think it's a surprise that it's bouncing now at the same time that, uh, people are starting to think that the Fed might be pivoting. Um, 
you know, have had this pretty uh, strong bounce uh, off uh, off of the off of a low um, that uh, has boosted not only gold but the uh, the dollar. And uh, I think that might be this people starting just to hedge this idea that you know maybe it's too early um, for the Fed to be pivoting, and that if it is, then you do want to be owning gold. I feel like I should ask everyone on Barron's live: Will the Fed pivot? Won't the Fed pivot? <laughs> <laughs> but Aaron, I'm going to ask you instead what your take on gold is. Yeah, I do think it comes down. Obviously, the, the strong dollar uh, is a headwind. Um, but I think the, the major thing is higher real yields, right? So that gives you the um, – so really just echoing what, what Ben said. Um, a responsible central bank, higher yields um, in that, uh, you know, then really it introduces a cost to holding gold, right, when money was free real yields were negative, um, you know, then gold is a pretty attractive alternative. Now you're giving up that yield mm -hmm. in order to make a decision to hold gold, which makes it relatively less attractive uh, to hold because I'd rather hold something that gives me 4%. Like, right, which you yeah, can finally do it. Almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, I want to thank you both. It's certainly been an interesting conversation and thank our audience as well. Thanks for your questions. And do come back tomorrow. Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, will be speaking with Dan Morgan, Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager at Sinobus Trust. They'll be discussing the outlook for big cap tech stocks. Thanks again, Aaron and Ben. And stay well, everyone. Have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.